we can begin by taking three mindful breaths using the diaphragm so we breathe in and allowing the abdomen to relax as you breathe out or you let go of the breath to to enter the body with the in-breath the intention the active awareness of the in-breath and relaxing the body on the out-breath So the calmness of the in-breath, the relaxing of the out-breath, the relaxing of the body. I'm sure it's more than three breaths by now, but it's okay. into a new earth there was moments earlier in the week when there was the intention to record and with the intention there was some points I wanted to to bring up and mention of my own what I'm going through my own journey but as of right now, it's uh, those have faded away, those have dissolved, or the only intention of the awareness here and now is just to continue reading where we left off. So we are on the chapter called Role Playing. The many faces of the ego and the passage we are going to read is titled Villain, Victim, Lover Some egos, if they cannot get praise or admiration will settle for other forms of attention and play roles to elicit them if they cannot get positive attention, they may seek negative attention instead. For example, by provoking a negative reaction in someone else. Some children already do that too. They misbehave to get attention. The playing of negative roles 
becomes particularly pronounced whenever the ego is magnified by an active pain body, that is to say, emotional pain from the past that wants to renew itself through experiencing more pain. Some egos perpetuate crimes. <laughs> Read that again. Some egos perpetrate crimes in their search for fame. They seek attention through notoriety and other people's condemnation. Please tell me that I exist, that I am not insignificant, they seem to say. Such pathological forms of ego are only more extreme versions of normal egos. A very common role is the one of victim, and the form of attention it seeks is sympathy or pity or others' interest in my problems, me and my story. Seeing oneself as a victim is an element in many egoic patterns, such as complaining, being offended, outraged and so on. Of course, once I am identified with a story in which I assigned myself the role of victim, I don't want to I don't want it to end. And so, as every therapist knows, the ego does not want an end to its to its problems <clears throat> because they are part of its identity. If no one will listen to my sad story, I can tell it to myself in my head. over and over and feel sorry for myself and so have an identity as someone who is being treated unfairly by life or other people, fate or God. It gives definition to my self-image, makes me into someone and that is all that matters to the ego. In the early stages of many so-called romantic relationships, role-playing is quite common in order to attract and keep whoever is perceived by the ego as the one who is going to make me happy, make me feel special and fulfil all my needs. I'll play who you want me to be and your play who I want you to be. That's the unspoken and unconscious agreement. However, role-playing is hard work, and so those roles cannot be sustained indefinitely, especially once you start living together. When those roles slip, what do you see? Unfortunately, in most cases, not yet the true essence of that being, but that which covers up the true essence, the raw ego divested of its roles with its pain body and its thwarted wanting which now turns into anger, 
most likely directed at the spouse or partner for having failed to remove the underlying fear and sense of lack that is an intrinsic part of the egoic sense of self. What is commonly called falling in love is in most cases an intensification of egoic wanting and needing. You become addicted to another person, or rather to your image of that person. It has nothing to do with true love, which contains no wanting whatsoever. The Spanish language is the most honest in regard to conventional notions of love. Te quiero means I want you as well as I love you. The other expression for I love you, te amo, which does not have this ambiguity, is rarely used, perhaps because true love is just as rare. The next passage is uh, titled Letting Go of Self-Definitions As tribal cultures developed into the ancient civilizations, certain functions began to be allotted to certain people ruler, priest, priestess, warrior, farmer, merchant, craftsman, labourer and so on a class system developed. Your function, which in most cases you were born into, determined your identity, determined who you were in the eyes of others as well as in your own eyes. Your function became a role, but it wasn't recognised as a role. It was who you were or thought you were. Only rare beings at the time, such as the Buddha or Jesus, saw the ultimate irrelevance of caste or social class, recognised it as identification with form, and saw that such identification with the conditioned and temporal obscured delight of the unconditioned and eternal that shines in each human being. In our contemporary world, the social structures are less rigid, less clearly defined than they used to be. Although most people are, of course, still conditioned by their environment, they are no longer automatically assigned a function and with it an identity. In fact, in the modern world, more and more people are confused as to where they fit in, what their purpose is, and even who they are. I usually congratulate people when they tell me I don't know who I am anymore. Then they look perplexed and ask, are you saying it is a good thing to be confused? I ask them to investigate. What does it mean to be confused? I don't know is not confusion. Confusion is 
I don't know, but I should know, or I don't know, but I need to know. Is it possible to let go of the belief that you should or need to know who you are? In other words, can you cease looking to conceptual definitions to give you a sense of self? Can you cease looking to thought for an identity? When you let go of the belief that you should or need to know who you are, what happens to confusion? Suddenly, when you fully accept that you don't know, you actually enter a state of peace and clarity that is closer to who you truly are than thought could ever be. Defining yourself through thought is limiting yourself. going to end the, uh, the reading at this point here. And just to touch upon the, the two passages we have read. The first one talked about being the victim. And the patterns that come with that the me and my story, the being offended, the patterns of complaining. And being identified with our story. How much how much energy goes into this? How much unawareness of energy goes into this? almost sense in my past that every day while talking to people there was almost an energy of upholding the story of updating the story the narrative and can this be noticed and seen can the words you're about to speak in a conversation can they come from a place that doesn't carry this energy, that doesn't have the victim energy about it. And Eckhart talks about, about love and the true essence of love. And there's an example of love in a romantic relationship, egoic love, where there is a role that is being played, where you are almost acting from the mind, trying to strategize and trying to fit in or be what you think the other person wants you to be, as Eckhart has put it. And of course this can't go on indefinitely, 
perhaps it's easier to keep up when you're not living with the person there's almost a break where you can after seeing them you can let go and go back to who you truly are but when you're living with somebody then there's perhaps there'll be a breaking point when the role slips and the question is asked here when those roles slip what do you see goes on to say unfortunately in most cases not yet the true essence of that being is seen but that which covers up the true essence the raw ego divested of its roles with its pain body so that role of perhaps being patient it could be a role that's being played of being patient if that slips, then what is left from that? The, the raw ego, the pain body, and most likely anger. And the final passage was about letting go of self-definitions. This includes social labelling. In the contemporary world, the social structures are less rigid, less clearly defined than they used to be. As in the earlier times, if you were born, you were already defined in some ways, depending on family you were born into, the trade, You'd, you know, whether it's a farmer or labourer, we are slowly seeing the eradication of this. And Eckhart says here that more people are now saying they're confused of what their purpose is and how they fit into the world. and. This can seem like a common statement. And Eckhart goes on to challenge this to say, what does it mean to be confused? Are you really confused? And he states, confusion is, I don't know, but I should know, or I don't know, but I need to know. And is it possible to let go of the belief that you should or need to know who you are? So can you cease seeking the identity from thinking? And in letting go of the belief confusion disappears as well. And it says in the final paragraph, when you fully accept that you don't know, you actually enter a state of peace and clarity 
that is closer to who you truly are than thought could ever be. Defining yourself through thought is limiting yourself. So if we were to reverse that, if you were not to define yourself with thought, then what limit is there? What sense, what sensations or what can you observe with the freeing yourself of thought of who you are? What is left? going to end the episode here. Thank you for joining me. As always, I wish you well in this present moment and I'll speak to you again very soon. Take care.